Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. We're finishing up our Spiritual Roadblocks series today. Spiritual Roadblocks Part 4 today, the fourth and final one. And we started, we just took a little break from the book of Mark, which we're going back to next week. We'll be back in Mark chapter 12 next week. It, to start off this year, though, we start off with this, this spiritual roadblocks. And the goal of this series that we've done is to try to help us reach our spiritual potential, our spiritual potential, and live out God's purpose for our life. God has given each one of us a very special purpose, but there are certain things that block our path from moving forward and, and, and staying in a close relationship with God. And we've been talking about those. Week number one, we talked about a, a poor Christ image. And if you didn't get a handout, I think there's more on the back table. or there. It's actually on our podcast website. You can look see the, um, the handout that I gave that talks about who we are in Christ and really understanding who we are in Christ. And we talked about how we wanted 2016 to be a year of transformation as we understand who we are in Christ and start to live that out. Week number two, we took a little detour and talked about God's love, just talked about his love and how God's love is what should draw us to a relationship with him. That's what, why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us in our place to take our sins so that we could find forgiveness if we put our faith in him. It was his love and it was the love of Christ that, that brought him here. And it's the love of Christ that hangs with us when we still struggle and mess up and we all do that, right? And it's that love of Christ and that not only is the motivation for us to come to Christ, but it's also our motivation to live the Christian life. Not because, oh, I have to or white knuckle it or God's going to strike me with lightning, you know, that, all that stuff. But, it, but it's because, we, because of his love and our love for him. That's what our motivation to not only become a Christian, but to live out that life. Then uh, we also talked about week number three, sin and strongholds. Sin and strongholds and how they keep us from intimacy with Jesus Christ and also hurt us. Us and those around us if we don't eradicate those sin and strongholds in our life. We talked about, now we talked about repent, repent, the four R's, repent, renounce, resist, and renew. And today I want to finish up by focusing on some trickier roadblocks that kind of sneak up on us because some of these things were more dramatic, but the ones I want to kind of hit today kind of sneak up on us and we're not always aware it's even happening. It's kind of like the frog in the hot water. We've talked about that before. Where If you take a frog and you put it in really hot water, what does it do? It tries to get out of that hot water. Jumps out, right? Gets out quick. But if you take that same frog and put him in lukewarm water, and then you slowly turn up the heat, slowly turn up the heat, guess what the frog does? Frog legs. You know, just cooks. Cooks. He won't go because he just... It happens so slowly, he doesn't try to get out and he cooks. And that's, that's what happens to many times, what happens to us spiritually. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a warm place to worship. We thank you for the freedom to worship here. And we thank you for the worship team that led us today and in worship into your presence. Lord, we pray that for your Holy Spirit now to speak to our hearts as we look at your word, that you would transform us. And maybe someone here has never put their faith in you, that they would give their life to you today, starting a new life in Jesus Christ. We pray that in his name. Amen. Okay, so if you still have the outline stuck in your Bible somewhere, I've been jumping around on it. But the first, the first one I want to focus on, the first spiritual roadblock in our last session here. The first one is marriage. Marriage. And often what happens is we face a spiritual attack on our marriage that knocks us down spiritually. Marriage is very, very important to God. It was part of creation. It's a picture of Jesus Christ and the church. Very, very important why he instituted it. But Marriage, as we know, is under attack in the USA in many, many different ways. But it was under attack long before the United States came into being. It, right back in the garden, Satan went right after marriage in the garden. Before uh, the very first sin, he, he started breaking that relationship between Adam and Eve. And afterward, we see the effect of what happened to, to marriages. We've, all marriages struggle now because of the fall, because of what has happened. Because Satan's goal is to paralyze marriages. 
because that's the best way to undermine the church of Jesus Christ. He attacks the building block because a godly family is what? What God's goal is to raise godly children, to pass it on to generation. I know many of us here have gone through the pain of divorce. It's not to beat anybody up. God's mercy and grace is there, and we start over by God's grace. But, but our goal is, is every marriage here today, we try to say, start now and, and, and fight it out, and by God's grace, make it. Because that is God's goal, is, is for everybody to have a godly marriage and, and to raise godly children. That's his goal, and that's why, it, that's why he started. That's the, the building block of the church is a godly marriage. In fact, in Malachi 2, in Malachi 2, 15 to 16, he says this, and God's talking about marriage here. The prophet Malachi says, Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Very, very serious. The goal of a godly marriage, what? Is to raise godly children, to to pass on a godly generation. But we have to guard ourselves in our spirit. It says, stress, guard yourself in your spirit. It's not easy in our culture of lust and lies, but it was just the same in the New Testament times. In the, you know, the Rome, Rome and the influence of Rome, it was very, very bad there. That's why he warns, that's why God warns us in Hebrews 13, 4, he says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Very, very important that we, we guard our hearts and guide, guard ourselves and our spirit because, because it's very, very serious in God's sight. Marriage is very, very serious, so that's why it's important. Whatever threatens our marriage, we need to cut out. Whatever is going after, whatever attacks our spirit, we need to get rid of. Whether it's what we see, whether it's what we read, whether it's what we listen to, whatever we allow into our mind, whatever we think about, very, very important to protect that. And husbands, it really starts with us. The way that we treat our wives also affects our fellowship with God. It affects not just our marriage, but it affects our fellowship with God. In fact, back in Malachi, back in Malachi 2, We did 15 and 16, but back up to verse 13, it says, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So God wouldn't accept their worship because they had broken that covenant. They had divorced their wives. They had left them. They had abandoned them. And God takes it very, very serious. The way that husbands, the challenge is on us. The way that we treat our wives affects our relationship with God. Not our relationship, our fellowship. I should say our fellowship with God. In fact, 1 Peter 3 talks about that. In 1 Peter 3, 7, that's what he's talking about. Listen to what he says here. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Nothing will hinder your prayers. We've been given a weaker partner. Now, this does not mean inferior. A lot of people, oh, what are they talking about? You know, and then they don't like the, you know, what this is written. That's not what the word means in the Greek there. It's not inferior, but it's precious. Weaker as in precious. Think of China. That's what the word is trying to bring out, that we've been given a precious partner. Like China. You can't treat your wife like, or like one of the guys, you know. It's to respect them and, and treat them as a, a precious Gift with God, from God. And that means to handle with care or it will affect your prayer. Handle with care or it will affect your prayer. I'm a poet and I didn't even know it. It's like, it's like the kids, uh, I should write down my Valentine's Day card. But anyway, the, the kids, you know, if I have kids and sometimes they pick on each other occasionally. But anyway, they, you know, they, they pick and think if, if one of the kids is bullying one of the little ones... And then, and they're being really mean to them. And then they walk up to me and say, Hey, Dad, can you take me to McDonald's? What am I going to say? No way. Because I'm upset with the way they've been treating their little 
sibling, right? And, and that's really a picture of what God is talking about. We're, we're to treat our life, wives with love and respect. Valentine's Day today, we just landed on this today, couples do so many special things for each other on Valentine's Day, but, but we need to have Valentine's Day every day. We need to protect our marriage. We need to spend time together and go on dates and daily connect, go on weekends to remember. Family Life Today has these weekends to remember. We really focus spiritually. And to love each other with the love of Christ. When the Bible talks about husbands loving their wives and, and, and any kind of Christian love, it's not... It's not using a word in, in the Greek that is talking about romantic love. Romantic love is wonderful. It's great. But romantic love comes and goes. It goes up and it goes down. It comes up and goes down. You know, that's not, but what always lasts is the Bible, Bible says, love your wives, or, or talking about Christian love, loving each other. It uses the word agape, which is a word of, it's a verb. It means, to, it means an, an act of the will to love somebody. It means to love somebody who's unlovely. That's literally what it means, to love the unlovely. And, it, and it's a decision that we make. It's the same love that God has toward us. That's the love we're to love our, our spouses and everybody with, but, but especially focusing on marriages here, to love each other with the love of Christ. What does that love look like? I have a, saw something in Reader's Digest years ago, and I've read it a couple of times, but it just still hits me. I just really believe this brings out a Christ-centered love that I'm trying to bring out here. Uh, written by someone here, it says, well, I'll hang on to the end with that. Larry and Joanne were an ordinary couple. They lived in an ordinary house on an ordinary street. Like other ordinary couples, they struggled to make ends meet and to do the right things for their children. They were ordinary in yet another way. They had their squabbles. Much of their conversation concerned what was wrong in their marriage and who was to blame. Until one day, when a most extraordinary event took place. You know, Joanne, I've got a magic chest of drawers. Every time I open them, they're full of socks and underwear, Larry said. I want to thank you for filling them all these years. Joanne stared at her husband over the top of her spectacles. What do you want, Larry? Nothing. I just want you to know I appreciate those magic drawers. This wasn't the first time Larry had done something odd, so Joanne pushed the incident out of her mind until a few days later. Joanne, thank you for recording so many correct check numbers in the ledger this month. You put down the right number 15 out of 16 times. That's a record. Disbelieving what she had heard, Joanne looked up from her mending. Larry, you're always complaining about my recording the wrong check numbers. Why stop now? No reason. I just want you to know I appreciate the effort you're making. Kind of convicting, isn't this? Joanne shook her head and went back to her mending. What's gotten into him, she mumbled. Nevertheless, the next day when Joanne wrote a check at the grocery store... She glanced at her checkbook to confirm that she had put down the right check number. Why do I suddenly care about those dumb check numbers, she asked herself. She tried to disregard the incident, but Larry's strange behavior intensified. Joanne, that was a great dinner, he said one evening. I appreciate all your effort. Why, in the past 15 years, I bet you fixed over 14,000 meals for me and the kids. Then, gee, Joanne, the house looks spiffy. You really worked hard to get it looking so good. And even, thanks, Joanne, for just being you. I really enjoy your company. Joanne was growing worried. Where's the sarcasm, the criticism, she wondered. Her fears that something peculiar was happening to her husband were confirmed by 16-year-old Shelley, who complained, Dad's gone bonkers, Mom. He just told me I look nice. With all this makeup and these sloppy clothes, he still said it. That's not dad, mom. What's wrong with him? <laughs> Whatever was wrong with Larry, he didn't get over it. Day in and day out, he continued focusing on the positive. Over the weeks, Joanne grew more used to her mate's unusual behavior and occasionally even gave him a grudging thank you. 
She prided herself in taking it all in stride until one day something so peculiar happened, she became completely discombobulated. I want you to take a break, Larry said. I'm going to do the dishes. So please take your hand off that frying pan and leave the kitchen. Long, long pause. Thank you, Larry. Thank you very much. Joanne's step was now a little lighter, her self-confidence higher, and once in a while she hummed. She didn't seem to experience blue moods much anymore. I rather like Larry's new behavior, she thought. That would be the end of the story, except one day, another extraordinary event took place. This time it was Joanne who spoke. Larry, she said, I want to thank you for going to work and providing for us all these years. I don't think I've ever told you how much I appreciate it. Larry never revealed the reason for his dramatic change of behavior. No, no matter how hard Joanne had pushed for an answer, and so it will likely remain one of life's mysteries. but it's one I'm thankful to live with. You see, I am Joanne. That's that Christ-like love in marriage. But it looks like Valentine's Day every day. Another roadblock that sneaks up on us is worldliness. Worldliness. In Mark four eighteen to 19, it says, and we dealt with this a little while ago, talking about the seeds in the soil. And he says in 18, still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Worldliness. Worldliness is so subtle. So, so subtle. We all struggle with it in many, many forms. It reminds me of how subtle this is and how we all struggle with it here, right? And we live in America. It, it reminds me of a youth retreat I was on. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I remember... We were, I took a youth group on a winter retreat, and we were in playing, had the, the kids were all playing basketball down in the racquetball court. They had this racquetball court and a basketball hoop set up in the back, and they would put the basketball hoop down, and then they would play basketball, and then you bring it back up and play racquetball there. It was a winter place. And I remember I was there watching the kids play basketball. We had several hot shots. They were showing off to all the girls and all this stuff. And so I just was, I was just watching, and, and I noticed the crank was right next to me. And while they're playing on the ten foot hoop, and I and I said, I just I just I play a little game with these guys, and I I crank, cranked it a couple of times, and it just went up like an inch or two, and they didn't notice. They're so busy playing and playing hard and competing, and they didn't even notice. So I cranked it again. Didn't notice. They just keep playing and playing, and by before long, I must have put it up three feet. It was like crazy, and then I kept going higher. They never noticed. These guys were heaving shots and playing, and I just did it so gradually. They're playing basketball like on a 15-foot hoop. It was crazy. I'm thinking, how could they not know? I thought I couldn't take it over. I said, guys, what are you doing? Will you look at the basketball hoop? They said, what? I go, look how high it is. I've been cranking it up. They go, oh, oh. And that's why it was so hard to make. And it was, but I had done it so gradually, they didn't even notice they were playing on this high, high hoop. And that's what happens to us. We just, like the frog, we just, you know, like the basketball hoop. It just happens gradually. Materialism, talking about the desires for other things and the deceitfulness of wealth here in Mark chapter 4. Materialism. Deep down, we would like to be able to say, I'm not materialistic. But we all are if we live in this country, aren't we? And, and here's a test. Here's a test. I always tell people when they say, well, I'm not materialistic. I say, here's a test. Do we tithe? Do we give 10% of our money to God? 
Because if we don't, this applies to us very easily. But a lot of us say, well, I've been tithing, now I'm doing great. But do we? the Bible doesn't just teach tithing. It teaches beyond that. It teaches sacrificial giving. The Old Testament was tithing. New Testament was sacrificial giving. That's giving the 10% and more sacrificially is what the New Testament teaches. Do we do that? Here's a test. Are we giving sacrificially? Do we give more to missions, missionaries? Do we give more to missions than we spend on entertainment? What do we spend more on, entertainment or missions? We'll put other things in there. On sports or missionaries? On music? On pets? On, you fill in the blank. Do we, what, do, what do we spend more on? That's a test of us, test to us that we're, you know, hey, we all struggle with this, right? We're worldly in other ways, too. We become like the culture. We watch the same TV, the same computer junk, the same movies. We put the same garbage into our minds. We, we act, do the same things that the rest of the culture does. We become very worldly. In fact, when I was a youth pastor, study after study, and I'm guessing it's probably still the same, although I really believe it's different here because our teens have been really on fire, but... but Study after t- study showed that Christian teens were no different than the world's teens, the non-Christian teens. They had sex the same amount of time, premarital sex. They drank the same. They you know, used drugs the same. They watched the same movies. Study after study showed that the teen, Christian teens were, did, acted, behaved, were doing the same thing the non-Christian teens were doing. And I really believe it's different with our group. Uh, although we have room to improvement, right? But just not just teenagers, it's all of us. That's a challenge for all of us. And that, in fact, that's why God says in the book of Revelation, Revelation three fifteen to 16, he says, I know you, he's talking to the church in Laodicea, and he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, God's not saying he wants us hot or cold spiritually. Cold was great in this culture because you drank, when you're hot, you drank something cold that was awesome. Or at night when it was got cold, you wanted the hot tea that they would drink. But, but what was no good was lukewarm. Nobody wants to drink something that's lukewarm. You either want a you know, hot coffee or you want a, a, you know, a cold soda, but you don't want something that's lukewarm. But what God was warning them here was saying... The church had become lukewarm. Why? Because it had become room temperature. It became like the rest of the world. And that's the warning to us is that we become like the world. We, what does he say? I want to spit you out of my mouth. We're just spit Christians. That's all we are. And God has a cure for lukewarm Christians. <laughs> and we may see it soon if we don't wake up. Wake up. In fact, I just saw an article which really hit me on at this. It's called Church Growth Lessons from China. And he says here, the author wrote this. I can't see his name here. But he wrote, A simple search of the Internet will provide far too many examples of modern-day martyrs for Jesus Christ to list. And while we are beginning to experience some small forms of persecution, they pale in comparison to what many believers have to endure. Yet, ironically, they are experiencing another trend contrary to what we are seeing in America. Unlike America and Europe, where church attendance is declining, in countries such as China, where becoming a Christian is literally a matter of life and death, the church is flourishing. What is the key to this massive growth while church attendance in the West continues to decline? The answer is found in the age-old tried-and-true growth method that works every time. Persecution. Persecution. Tertullian, a second century church father, said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. While his words are not inspired scripture, history has borne out the truth of his claims. If we look around the world at areas such as Nigeria, where Muslim terrorist groups are murdering Christians uh, for not converting to Islam, the church is experiencing amazing growth. I have edited several books by pastors from Nigeria, and their love and devotion for Jesus Christ is amazing and puts many of us to shame. Sadly, for years, I have heard accounts of Christians around the world praying for American believers to suffer persecution so that they can grow spiritually. 
the church in America is lukewarm. But God loves his bride enough to wake us up. And I believe he, will, may, he might need to use persecution to get through to us. But we don't have to wait for that to be hot and cold for God, do we? Another one, busyness. Busyness, Luke 10. In Luke 10, 38 to 42, we see how busyness can creep in also. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, he, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I heard the saying once, I never forgot it. If the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. Even in good things, even with our family or our job, even ministry, like Martha, ministry, we get preoccupied doing things for God, but no time with Jesus. Are we too busy for God? That's a roadblock spiritually for us. What do we need to cut out? What do we need to make our priority? Here's, here's, someone else said this once, and I don't remember, but I never forgot it. Whatever we do first always gets done. Whatever you do first always gets done. And that's true spiritually. The reason I like to get up early in the morning and go for my long walks, even when it's dark many times, is that's the only time I'm going to have that day to be alone with God. Now, when it's cold like this, I don't go out for my <laughs> prayer walks. Trust me, you don't see me out there right now. But, but you, know what I, you know what I do? I stay in bed. I pray in bed. Do you know why? Well, first of all, David said he prayed on his bed. All the, and you look at the Psalms, he prayed on his bed. He meditated. It's okay to pray in bed. The reason I do it is I know if I get out of bed, there's kids and kittens. You know what, the three kittens, I've already told you that story. As soon as you walk out, they want attention. They're, they're a pain in the butt. But anyway, kittens, but kids too. If I, I know that if I go down, chances are I won't have long. I like to start the fire, and it's dark, and I can pray by the fire. It's awesome. But sooner or later, there's going to be kids and kittens. And so I, I know I, if I really want to pray, I've got to pray in bed. Because the moment I roll out, kids and kittens. But we all have to find that quiet place that wherever it is, it could be in the car on the way to work, wherever, no radio, nothing, just that quiet time. Wherever it is for us, we, we need that connection time. And a result of this worldliness, a result of the busyness that I'm, I'm talking about here is one last stronghold that I'm going to talk about, and that is defenselessness. Defenselessness. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, it talks about our defenses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the, de- the um, So that when the day of evil comes... So I'm trying to do this by memory. i got to read it. I'm getting too old. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The the armor of God. So many 
Christians in the USA today are defenseless. We're not using our armor. We're getting knocked down spiritually. We're not holding up the shield of faith. as We're getting constantly bombarded by all the lies and the delusions in our society. We're not holding up that shield of faith to deal with those flaming arrows of the evil one. We're not fighting back. What is the one weapon there that you can actually fight back with? The sword. And I just happened to bring a, a little sword here. Uh, now, the sword, the word here, sword, in the Greek, is not a big double-edged sword, which other places of the Bible talks about that in Hebrews. Uh, but this one is actually a dagger. It's a dagger. It's a, it's a dagger that the Roman soldier would keep in his belt. And he had it as a last resort. Close in hand fighting. He had to pick his dagger out, and it was right in close. And that's the, what he's talking about here, a dagger. And I just happen to have a dagger sword here. Now, does anybody recognize this one? Nobody? Hint, hobbit, hobbit? Ah, this is the sting. The sting. Bilbo, Frodo, sting, right? Now, they used it as a sword. That was their sword, but you know, it really wasn't a sword. It was really a dagger, an elf dagger, not a Keebler elf dagger, but a, the elves from Lord of the Rings, the big elves, you know, fighting elves, right? And that was, their, that, that was a dagger for them, the sting. And you remember stabbing the spider and all that. Well, that was, that was the dagger, but they used it as a sword. And this is exactly what it's talking about here in the Bible. This is a sword that we're to use. And, and we're to use it to, to fight. We, we have to use it to fight when we get in close. It's that last resort fight. What did Jesus use when he was attacked? When he was tempted? It is written. It is written. It is written. He quoted scripture. And when we are tempted, when we're discouraged, when we've just fallen, when we're depressed, when we're in fear, when we're going through a trial, quote the word of God. It's great to have it memorized, but most of you don't need that. Now you've got phones, you can Google it, you know. I don't know how to do that, but a lot of you Google, right? And uh, you, 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 you can Google a verse and, and, and use that verse and, and fight with it and, and have it there to, to memorize it and, and to know it and to believe it and to act on it. Very, very important. Every time we're in that battle, to whatever temptation, whatever lie, whatever delusion, uh, whatever lie that's coming our way through society, we have to take that thought captive and use the word of God, whatever temptation we're facing, what, whatever we're going through, we have to be able to use our sword. Our sword. And if you need help with that, you don't Google either. If you need help with that, see me. I'll, I'll help you find verses. Talk to someone. We'll help you find verses and, and write them down and, and have them and, and use them until we really know it and believe it and act on it. It's it's. Jesus needed the word of God. We need the word of God. If we don't have it, we're defenseless. Are you equipped for battle? Are you equipped for battle? We are all in a war. The only question is, will we be MIA, POW, or are we going to be victorious in this war? Are we memorizing and praying on the armor daily? What? I've got to do this daily? What are you, what are you saying? Daily I've got to go through this? Well, let me put it this way. Yeah. This is why. Matt, Matt plays football. I think we have a couple of football. But Matt, you play football. What if you said to your mom, uh, Mom, I'm, I'm, I love football, but I'm sick of putting on all this equipment. In fact, I'm not going to wear my helmet anymore. I'm not going to put on the equipment anymore. Mom, because I'm big and tough and I don't need it. What would your mom say? You're not playing football ever again, right? You know, she wouldn't let you out of the field. She'd run out there, grab you by the ear, and pull you off that field if she saw you out there playing football without a helmet. Right, Mom? Definitely. Because you, if you want to play football, you've got to put on the equipment. And if you want to live the Christian life, you have to put on the armor. We have to have this armor. What's blocking us from reaching our spiritual potential? Is it the armor? Is it a poor Christ image? Is it we don't fully grasp the love of Christ that we have we don't really grasp that? Is it sin and strongholds? Is it our marriage that we have to commit to 
agape love, Christ-centered love in our marriages? Is it worldliness? God is convicting us of worldliness. It's a constant battle, isn't it? Is it busyness? We don't have any time for God, that time in prayer. Maybe you're blocked because you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, you're not a child of God yet. Until you put your faith in Jesus, you are blocked spiritually. But once you give your life to God, once you put your faith in Jesus, you become a child of God and you have instant access to God anytime, anywhere through Jesus Christ, His Son. But if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that's a spiritual block. But you can get rid of that today. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you will believe in Jesus, put your faith in him, you can have eternal life. And eternal life starts the moment you pray that prayer to God. You get a brand new life, an instant access, and you have a whole new relationship with God as your father. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart. He's calling you to take that step of faith. And you can do it right now. Right now. Don't wait. Right where you're sitting, you can pray to God and say, God, I want to make you my father. I want to give you my life. I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus. My hope, my trust in Him. I believe He died for me on that cross so that I could be forgiven. I repent of my old life. Please forgive my sin. I turn away from that old life. And I give you my life, God. If you've prayed that prayer today, then more than a roadblock just disappeared. A huge wall just came down. You now have a relationship with God as your Father. And you can come to Him anytime in Jesus' name. Through His Son, Jesus. And your life will never be the same because you have life now a real life I want to encourage you to let somebody know that you've given your life to Jesus maybe it came with a friend or a family member tell me or you want to tell me on the way out or fill out the card in the bulletin stick it in the box send me a text or email let somebody know because we're going to be really excited for you and we're going to encourage you in your new life in Christ as we're praying for those who have already put our faith in Christ how is the Holy Spirit convicting us how is he speaking to our hearts
how is these four weeks focusing on spiritual roadblocks born fruit in our life? Father, we pray that as we spend time with you, every day spending time with you, that your spirit would continue to bear fruit on the seeds that are planted through your word today and the last four weeks. We pray that this year would be a year of transformation in our lives. I know we're not going to be perfect at the end of this year, but Lord, we pray that we would see that progress, that progressive sanctification, becoming more like you, more peace, more joy, more love. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a, a special song number. Wendy Shedig, who many of you already know, is going to close us up with worship. But I've also asked her to share about another spiritual roadblock. Take a few moments to sp- share about another spiritual roadblock that maybe some people are struggling with. And I, I think the Holy Spirit's using her to help people with. So. Thank you, Chuck. I'm here to talk about another spiritual roadblock um, that many people like me don't talk about. It's one of those big silent secrets. Um, People don't talk about their own abortion. Um, I was 19 when I had one, and it was an experience that has changed my life. Three out of ten women before the age of 45 will have an abortion. That's a lot of women. And that includes Christians. And the reason I'm standing here to tell you about this is because people don't talk about it. How, how does anybody out there know how people respond to abortion? Uh, I always thought, I believed in, the, in what they tell you. They tell you, just, you you can have an abortion and move on with your life and forget about it, because that's what they tell you. But um, that's not what happens. I will admit there are probably some women out there who are able to do that. But I know an awful lot don't. And the reason I know an awful lot don't, because nobody talks about it. <laughs> because it is a deep, dark secret. Um, I know God implanted an instinct in all of us so that when you get pregnant, a woman gets pregnant, um, all these hormones start going, but also these instincts of protection to nurture and take care and love this little baby. So to go to an abortion clinic and decide to discard that baby, but then walk away and forget about it and pretend that didn't happen, and and then all those hormones and all those instincts, turn them all off and pretend that it wasn't there, is absolutely against human nature. I'm speaking that for men as well. Um, I'm I'm just talking about women because I am a woman, but men have the same issues. We're programmed to forget, and I thought I was supposed to forget. I thought there was something wrong with me when I walked away from that abortion center and fell into a deep, deep depression and became suicidal and just, I, I hated myself. I didn't think that I deserved to breathe because I took that away from my own flesh and blood, let alone eat, talk, live, do anything. It's what brought me to Christ, thankfully. I was 24 when I finally came to Christ. And isn't that interesting? My baby saved me. (laughs) But it took 27 years after choosing Christ as my Savior. Because I was told that he would forgive me. And I was able to accept his forgiveness for lots of things. But for the abortion, I I couldn't wrap my head around that. I couldn't reconcile that. I couldn't think, surely, that's, that's 
takes it too far is what I, how I looked at it. For 27 years as a Christian, I kept that so deeply hidden in my brain you, because I couldn't even say the word, let alone look at it and talk about it. And then I, I did things, all sorts of things to try to cover up. I acted like I was fine. I never talked about it. But I also became a nurse, a registered nurse, so that maybe if I saved enough lives, lives I could make up for the one I took. But I kept this, wor- this feeling of worthlessness kept living in me. And finally, um, I had a nervous breakdown at work. I, it, I figured the doctors wouldn't even let me alone with a patient. If they knew what I had done, why would they leave me alone with a patient when I had killed my own flesh and blood? I mean, those, that's the kind of stuff that went through my head. Talk about a spiritual roadblock. And I didn't even realize it was related to abortion. All this time, I didn't know that this was because of my abortion. I, I just, my head was just saying, I hated myself so much that certainly the doctor wouldn't leave me alone with a patient and maybe if I save lives I'll feel better. I I didn't even recognize it was about abortion. So this roadblock was going on and I didn't even know it. But after I had this nervous breakdown at work, I had to leave work. I couldn't work anymore. God led me to a crisis pregnancy center where I um, I had, went to a Bible study specifically for post-abortive women that showed me how much God loves me. And I, I had such a hard time believing that. But this Bible study was amazing. There must have been a thousand scriptures. I couldn't miss the fact that God loved me. And it was phenomenal healing. And because of that healing, I now... Run, give those Bible studies to women in my area. I live in New Britain and in this area. I do that Bible study with women. I also go to the prison because 85% of women in prison have had an abortion. 85%. That tells you what it does to their head. And I'm telling you about this because I want you to know there's enough mercy for you. It's really hard to reconcile, but there is. And Jesus is big enough for your mercy, too. And I want to sing a song for you that um, I wrote um, about that mercy. I was about three-quarters of the way through the Bible study when it finally hit me that he really does love me, incredulous as that seemed to me. And... um, And I want to share that with you, and I want you to know there's mercy enough for you too. Hang on a second. There. Somewhere in the sky I've been out walking In the fading light Could it be true You would wash away my shame Like the cool fall air Cleanses me again I've made mistakes I'll regret all my life I was young and foolish But time won't make it right And I'll never win Cause I believe that I should lose Do you want to take that burden On you But you assured me that's what mercy means your love shines through the darkest part of me and there is nothing 
Mercy means.